Good morning, sleep in service. I'm glad that you guys are here. You know, I used to have a really bad attitude about long weekends um, because, you know, it's kind of one of those weekends where people just kind of mail stuff in and everybody's distracted. They got lots of things going on. And then I began to discover something, that the people who come to church on a long weekend, they really want to come to church. And then God shows up and starts doing amazing things. So I'm glad that you are here today. Thank you for making this a priority. And we're going to be in our Bibles today in Proverbs chapter 28 and 29. We've been doing a series on Proverbs, looking for wisdom because I don't know about you, but in my world, the world becomes a little more complicated and complex every single day. And I need a little bit more wisdom. And as we've been walking through this series, some people have been actually sending me, uh, sending me emails saying, Grant, what in the world does this proverb mean? Because some of them are a little interesting. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10. The righteous care for the needs of their animals. It's like, what? The righteous care for the needs of their animals, but the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. Now, here's the bottom line, okay? Uh, my wife has three dogs, okay? If you put all of my three dogs together, they don't even make one real dog. They're like just... It, it, it hurts my manhood, but I have three small dogs that are more like rats than they are dogs, but I love them. And, but here's the deal. Every time we have a cold night in Whatcom County, my wife just starts asking me questions. She goes, so do you think people are bringing their dogs inside tonight? Because she would, if she had her way, she would make sure all the farmers brought all of their animals inside of the house at night just to stay warm. And the reality is this, you know, my wife, because she's a righteous woman, she basically would believe that if you don't look after your animals, she would think unrighteous thoughts about you. And if she knew it, she'd show up at your house and do cruel things to you because the Bible says you're supposed to take care of your animals. Now, apparently... My wife is righteous, not just because she's a godly woman, but because my three dogs run my house. I mean, that's just the way it works. Okay, I sleep in their bed, not the other way around. My sofa belongs to them. I woke up this morning and one of them was sleeping on my pillow. Let's move on before I get bitter. Okay, Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 13. For some of you, this will be a great encouragement. Gray hair is a crown of splendor and it is attained by way of righteousness. Which means this, if you got gray hair and I've got a few showing up, we earned every single one of them, did we not? Like every single one of them, we earned those. The young lady who cuts my hair, Lindsay calls them wisdom hairs. And she says every time, Grant, there's a few more showing up every single time. My son Braden commented on my graying hair on the Israel trip and I wrote him out of my will because you just, <laughs> you just don't get to talk about that kind of stuff. Because there's another proverb, spare the rod, spoil the child and, and write them out of your will. That's what you're supposed to be do. That's what you learned in church. Proverbs chapter 5. For all the gentlemen in the room, enjoy the wife that you married as a young man, lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose. Don't ever quit taking delight in her body. That's good Bible right there, all right? That's a good verse. Last night I got home after church, I was checking out my wife because she's, she's hot and now she's embarrassed and, and, and she's here right over there. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what part of her I was checking out, but I'm telling you this. That's biblical, all right? That's good stuff. Here's another one. Proverbs 27, 14. This one is for the sleep-in service. The Bible says, if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. And all the sleep-in service said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> I love you guys. I don't even start breathing till about 10 a.m., and as a person who hates morning, I love the fact that God put a buffer in there against morning people, right? If you're a morning person, you need to pipe down. 
Because even if you bless me, I'm going to take it as a curse. Jesus is just saying like, zip it. I'm one of those people. I think if Jesus wanted us to enjoy morning, he would have put it later in the day. And that's just what I think, all right? So we've been doing a series in Proverbs, and our goal has been to pursue wisdom. We defined wisdom this way, okay? It's God's principles applied. And if we don't apply what we're going to hear from the Word of God today, I'll tell you what will happen to it. You're going to paint it on a plaque, you're going to put it on your wall, and it's going to become really tacky wall art. Because that's what we do with wisdom. We tend to belittle it, we tend to hang it in our offices, we hang it in our houses. But if we don't actually apply it, it's wasted. Well, today, we're going to be live and in real time. Some of you have been doing the Proverbs Challenge. I've been encouraging you for every day of this month of May, and I'm actually going to continue to or encourage you to roll it over into the month of June, but every single day to read a chapter based on whatever date it is. So if you've been reading along, yesterday you read Proverbs 28. Hopefully this morning when you woke up, you read Proverbs 29. And we're going to jump into some Proverbs specifically from these two chapters while they're still fresh in our minds and our hearts, okay? In each of these Proverbs, we're going to find a conflict. In your outline, I pose them that this way. It's this versus this. And it's a simple equation we face every day. Left versus right. Apple versus PC. Ford versus Chevy. This versus that. Us versus them. McDonald's versus Burger King. Coke versus Pepsi. And that equation embodies a choice that we all face every single day. But in the case of Proverbs, this is going to be our tension. Wisdom versus folly. We're going to choose what God tells us to do, or are we going to, in a lack of wisdom, pursue what the book of Proverbs calls folly? Let's dive in. The Bible says this, Proverbs 28, verse 1. The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Let me read that again. The wicked flee, though no one's chasing them, but the righteous are as bold as as a lion. Think about the words there. The wicked flee, though no one pursues. Well, I got a question. Why are they running if nobody's chasing them? And the reason is simple, because they're guilty. The wicked are always looking back over their shoulder. They're always paranoid that somebody is catching up with them. They're always paranoid that sin is catching up with them. You've probably heard this before. Be sure your sin will find you out, right? So the wicked are always, they're always running even though nobody's chasing them because they always imagine there's somebody behind them that, that the sin that they, that they just did was going to be exposed, that the lie that they just told is going to catch up with them, that the gossip that they spread is finally being shouted from behind them. So they're running even though no one's chasing them. As someone who spent time doing this, we all know what it feels like to be on the run from guilt, on the run from shame, on the run from God. So it's a daunting contrast in Proverbs. It's paranoid versus poised. Paranoid versus poised. I mean, look at the other side of the proverb. The wicked flee, though no one pursues them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Several years ago, I got to go with Compassion International. I got to go to Africa, spent time in Kenya and spent time in Tanzania, meeting some children who captured my heart and have absolutely, they just turned me upside down because of their joy and also because of the way we could love and support them as a church. On the last day that we were there with this group of pastors, they took us on an African safari. They wanted us to experience the beauty of this beautiful land. And as we were driving around this one corner, our Maasai guide, Wilson, said, I want look over here, and sitting about 12 feet away from me, so from here to Katie, right there, is an African male lion sitting up on the top of this little dirt mound. And he's looking at me. 
and there are questions running through his furry little face and his lion-type brain. And the questions were, who are you? And what are you doing on my land? And I was intimidated. I mean, I was kind of freaked out because he was communicating to me, this is my territory and you look delicious (laughs) and scared. I was intimidated because of his quiet boldness, because of his poise, because of his confidence. The only thing that moved on him was his tail, which just flicked off a fly every once in a while, while he looked at me with this engaged level of humor. He was quiet, he was bold, he was confident. And it makes me ask this question, am I bold? Am I quiet? Am I confident? Because the reality is this, my God, Jesus Christ is described in Scripture as the Lion of Judah, and make no mistake, though many people may claim this land, all of this belongs to Him. doesn't belong to us. So I have to ask the question, am I bold, as Proverbs tells me, in doing good? Am I bold in speaking softly? Am I bold in accomplishing the mission of Jesus because I'm no longer paranoid and looking over my shoulder because Satan can't do anything from behind. He just can't come back there because everything that's behind me has been forgiven, placed under the blood of Jesus Christ. There was a battle at one point, and Satan lost. So here it is, paranoid versus poised. Let's move on, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Boy, there's a tension there, isn't it? There's a tough choice when it comes to sin. Conceal versus confess. Am I going to conceal it or am I going to confess it? And I don't know about you, but I like to keep the worst of me private. I like to keep it just between me and God. That's the best case scenario. I'm going to confess it to God because after all, I, I, I believe that I should confess it to Him and absolutely He's the only one that can absolve me of my sin. So anything that I do bad, I'm just going to keep it between God and myself. And it drives me crazy when the New Testament doesn't make it any easier for me and it keeps pushing me to the line and it actually says, confess your sins to each other. And we're supposed to confess them to each other. Why? I mean, why isn't it okay for me just to keep my sin between me and God? After all, He's the one that I offended ultimately. He's the one that can make it right. Why do I need to confess it to another brother or sister? Let me tell you why. Because exposing a sin to another brother or sister sucks the life out of the sin, and Satan can't use that secret against us once it's out in the light. We're not always looking over our shoulder wondering if it's going to come back to haunt us. Instead, we confess it, we lay it out in front of God and other people that we love and that we trust and then understand what it means to hold that confession in their heart. And God sets us free. So if you're carrying sin in your heart today, and the truth is all of us are, confess it, don't conceal it, that's just wise. Let's keep going. Proverbs 29, verse 1. Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes. I don't know about you, but I do not like receiving correction. Like, I just don't like it when somebody comes up to me and says, dude, you got it wrong. You missed it. You hurt someone's feelings. You made a wrong decision. You acted in an inappropriate way. I don't like it when someone comes and corrects me. I don't like it when someone provides what I call a sharp rebuke or a sharp correction, but I'm reminded of another piece of wisdom. I need to look at that person, and I need to remind it of this. 
Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Let me say that again. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And if that person is there as a loving friend to correct me and point me in the right direction, then I have to ask the question. I have to ask the question, why is this so hard for me to receive? You know, when a friend comes and lovingly provides correction, the relationship is tested. The giver of the rebuke is tested because they've got to present it in love and then they've got to release it. Because the Trinity is a trio, it's not a quartet, and God doesn't need your help. Do we get that? Let me say it again. The tri- I like, thank you, Tony. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a trio, not a quartet. God doesn't need your help. So we have to come, we can present a correction, and then we have to let it go and let God do His work. The receiver of the correction is tested because they've got to choose resistance versus receptivity. Am I going to resist this? Am I going to be open to the thought that I actually may be wrong, that I may have caused harm, or am I just consumed with being right? I'm going to say this boldly and yet as gently as I can. The way in which you receive loving, relationally driven correction is a great barometer on your following Jesus. Your level of wisdom is tested when someone lovingly comes and provides correction because the Bible says those who are able to receive correction and not stiffen their neck, they have a soft heart. They have a vital prayer life because they're open to what God is saying. And they also have loose shoulders and a head that moves to boot. There's a benefit there. Let's keep going. Another proverb, verse 29, or chapter 29, verse 6. Evildoers are snared by their own sin, but the righteous one can sing and be glad. Evildoers, snared by their own sin. You've heard this before because I just said it about six minutes ago. My mom used to say this all the time. Grant, be sure your sins will find you out. It's just the way it works, right? And it used to drive my crazy because, drive me crazy because my mom was actually right. I mean, I so wish that wasn't true. I mean, does anybody else, don't you just wish sometimes you could just commit a sin and get away with it, no matter what? Nobody's going to raise their hand on that one, but you know what I'm talking about, right? For years, I struggled with the fear of man. I struggled because I was terrified about, about what people might say about me to the point where I was frozen. And there were seasons here in the early part of our ministry here at Christ the King where I was more afraid of what people thought than what God thought. What's amazing is God placed an amazing lady in my life who would call me out when she would see it. Laurel would call me out, and I would think very bad thoughts, (laughs) because nobody likes to get called out. And I would ask the question that every husband in the room will understand and has asked at one point, why does God tell my wife so much about me? (laughs) And how does she know this? How is she always 45 days in front of me? How is she able to just see right into the depth of my soul and know when I'm making decisions that don't honor God? I'll never forget when she wisely told me, Grant, here's the deal. Jesus loves you too much to let you stay there. He loves you too much to allow you to be frozen in this spot. So this is what will happen. He will expose you over and over and over and over again because He loves you that much. You want to know today why you always get caught? It's because Jesus loves you. 
He loves you so much. He doesn't want you to stay frozen where you are. So he will expose you lovingly over and over and over again so that you will turn to him and follow the first couple of Proverbs, which is to actually put all of your sin behind you, to confess it not only to God but to other people so that you don't keep stepping in the same snare over and over and over again. Here's the choice, snared versus singing. Trapped versus standing on your own two feet and praising the God who loves you enough to make sure you don't get stuck in the same snare over and over and over again. Let's keep going. Proverbs 29, 11. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. I love that proverb. Fools give full vent to their rage, which means this. If you're foolish enough, like we talked about last week, to just unleash your mouth, it means you have no throttle, no brakes, and no mute switch. You just don't have that. I mean, this is my paraphrase. People that, that don't have a throttle on their mouth and their soul, they just unleash. There's no check or balance. They just walk into a room and explode. I had a friend in high school. His nickname was Boom. That's what we called him. Can anybody guess what his issue was? I mean, you'd see it. He'd walk into a room, see something he didn't like, and that red line would start moving up his face, and everybody started pushing back away from the table because we knew. It was just like, boom, it's going to happen. If you're in your heart right now, as I'm talking about anger, if in your heart right now your response is, I do not have an anger problem, (laughs) then wisdom would say you might need to listen to what God is saying. Here's the choice, chaos versus calm. Now, he would absolutely kill me if he knew I was talking about him today, but Frank's not here, so uh, he can't hold me accountable for this. We have a man on our staff. His name is Frank Talbot. He's one of our executive lead pastors. So Todd and Frank and I, we're kind of the three guys that, that try to put our brains together and figure out what God wants to do with this crazy mess of a church. And uh, Pastor Frank is our lead executive pastor. And if you know Frank, you're going to know this to be true. Every situation he walks into, he de-escalates. Everyone, as soon as he starts talking. He's like a walking proverb. His tone is gentle. His voice is warm. He's like our spiritual dad around here. We all go to Frank when we need wisdom because of who he is as a person. And it's amazing. If he walks into a situation and the tension starts going up, he just starts praying. He just starts praying, Jesus, Jesus, would you come and stand in the middle of this conflict right now? You you know, it's amazing what you don't say when someone else invites Jesus into the middle of an argument. Isn't that true? (laughs) And Frank, just like, Jesus, would you just come and stand here? Because we're just kind of caught up in a moment here, and and we don't want to lose you in the midst of this. We don't want to get all wrapped up in our opinion. So, So, Jesus, would you just come and put your hand on both of our shoulders and help us just to work this thing out. And here's the crazy thing. He always prays with his eyes open. Kind of freaked me out when I first met him. And I asked Frank one time, I said, well, why do you always pray with your eyes open? His response was, he goes, I don't close my eyes when I'm talking to you. (laughs) I just love that, right? He's like, well, Jesus is here, so we're just talking to him because he's here all the time. Frank brings calm Because wisdom tells him no matter what chaos is happening around him, every situation is an opportunity to encounter Jesus. So i got a question. When you walk into a room, do you bring calm 
or chaos? Do you bring drama and trauma everywhere you go? Or do you bring peace and quiet into every situation? Wisdom says that we should be bringing calm. Keep pressing in with me. Proverbs 29, 25. Fear of man, oh, there it is. Now it's going to get personal. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. I don't like this one because it's personal. Galatians 1.10. You cannot please both God and man at the same time. You can't reconcile those two things together. So you've got a tough choice according to this proverb. Fear of man versus fear of God. How do you know if you're wrapped in the fear of man? I can tell you explicitly. You're afraid of mankind if when tough issues come to the table, you get quiet, you lower your standard, you become politically correct, you mind your own business, and you become lukewarm. That's how you know you're wrapped in the fear of man. You're wrapped in the fear of man if you don't want to rock the boat because you don't want anyone to ask you a hard question. You're wrapped in the fear of man if you're afraid to have the hard conversation and you don't want to share God's wisdom because of people, uh, what my people might say or what they might do to you. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. I would rather be a fool in the eyes of a man than a fool in the eyes of God. And when we are afraid of man, we, we don't want to say that hard thing that we know needs to be said because it's God's way. Fearing God means I respect His design, His heart, and His plan over what culture may say or what they feel is right. You see, there's another proverb. Left to our own devices as humanity, we're going to go the wrong way. How do I know that? Because a proverb says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So I've got to ask a question, am I more afraid of my popularity with people or am I more afraid of the God who saved me? Now when I say fearing God, I don't mean being terrified of your heavenly Father. I mean you respect Him because He's God and you're not. I'm going to remind you again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it all starts. So on your outline, if you just look down that right-hand column of all of those verses statements, I want you to picture the person who embodies these Proverbs. They're poised. They're clean through confession. They've got nothing held back. They're receptive to correction. They're not defensive. They're singing God's praise at the top of their lungs. They're calm in the toughest of circumstances, and they rightfully fear God more than people. Just picture that person. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that describe you? Let me turn the mirror around. Grant, does that describe you? All the time or just Sunday morning for about an hour? Is the picture that you have of a wise person, does that describe you and your character? Calm versus chaos, paranoid versus poise, strung up versus singing. Now, be careful because it's so easy in these environments to go, oh, that's right, I'm horrible. It's a long weekend and now it's gotten even longer because I'm just, I'm just, uh, it's easy to hand, hang our head and stiffen our neck. It goes back to another proverb, to stiffen our neck when God is lovingly coming along saying, I'm going I'm to try and correct this. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation always pushes you back into your sin. Conviction pushes you towards the throne room of God. 
And God is saying, I I want to have that conversation, that honest conversation. Let's talk about the anger. Let's talk about your mouth. Let's talk about whether or not you, you resist correction from anybody. That's live and in real time, right? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about it. Because God wants to continue to shape us. Have you ever wondered why God just keeps pressing in on us? Why He's always refining us and sharpening us and moving us and, and, and pulling out that heavenly sandpaper of trials and buffing off all of the rough edges? Have you ever wondered why, why God doesn't just leave us alone? Because after all, like we're part of the family, right? We should get a pass because we're God's kids, right? Have you ever wondered why He just keeps pressing in and pressing in and not allowing us to settle? Well, wisdom actually has an answer for those questions. Proverbs 29, 17. Practically and figuratively, this verse applies. Discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delight that you desire. Do you want to know why God keeps pressing in on you? Because God disciplines those that He loves. He just presses in on us. Why? Because He loves you that much. He won't allow you to settle. He won't allow you to be stationary. He won't allow you to just stiffen your neck and say, I just don't want to change anymore. He disciplines those that He loves. That's figuratively. Now, practically, He also wants to talk to the parents in the room. What does that say? Discipline your children. It's like, well, I don't want to do that because I might stifle Junior's creativity. Really? Can I tell you something about Junior? Junior and his little brothers and sisters, the inmates are running the asylum. That needs to change. That needs to change. I mean, some of us need this proverb practically. I'm at the mall the other day out in the parking lot, and there is this little guy up on the hood of his father's new Audi. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs and jumping up. He's denting the hood of the car. And I get out of my beat-up old trailblazer. I'm like, kid, if you want to jump on a car, like, pick this one, right? Like, <laughs> check engine lights always on in this one. No big deal, right? But he's freaking out on the top. And the dad, I could tell by the conversation he was having with his friend, he was not having one of those moments where it's just like, I choose calm. Because I'm not talking about being angry here. I'm not talking about being violent. I'm talking about the fact that the Bible says that you're actually supposed to be the adult in that moment. You're supposed to remove the child safely, place them down on the ground, and help them understand a basic principle. When they're 42 years old, you don't get to jump on the hood of cars anymore. Because if you do, a small van with men in little white coats are going to get up out, and they're going to wrap you in a jacket so you can hug yourself, and you're going to go away for a little while. But some of us didn't learn that when we were four, so we're still doing it when we're 44. And it's a scary, scary place to be. Here's the bottom line. According to the Bible, that child needs the fear of God put into him because he's embraced the chaos, given full vent to his narcissism, and the answer to that broken understanding is not ignoring the problem because you're afraid you're going to stifle Junior's creativity. As a parent, stifle him! Now I just got angry and I got to repent. Oh my goodness, I got to practice what I preach, right? I mean, if you noticed, all of these Proverbs are a contest. This verse is this, but this one's different. This one's different. God disciplines and corrects, and if we're willing to do that in the same loving way that He does 
In this proverb, the equation's different. It's discipline equals delight. You know, as a son of God, I want to bring delight to my heavenly Father. I want to be man enough to embrace correction when a loving friend comes and, of course, corrects me. I want to live in wisdom as as, as a man of God who's just trying their best. I want to live up to my birthright. I want to develop the family resemblance. I want people to look at me and say, wow, you look just like your heavenly dad. I want to be poised and calm in the middle of chaos because I know God's got a plan, even if it involves pain. I want to leave sin behind because I've confessed my way out of the snare. I want to give full vent to my passion for Jesus and not just full vent to my temper. I want to worship God whether the world likes my song or not. I want the God who loves me and molds me and shapes me to pour wisdom into me to the point where I recognize every time God is correcting me, He's doing it because He loves me. I've enjoyed hearing how some of you have been practically applying the book of Proverbs. I want to encourage you to do something. We started reading this wisdom about four or five days into the month of May just because of the way the weekends were positioned. So some of you missed out the first five or six chapters because we didn't get into it until about the 5th or 6th of May. I want to encourage you, as June rolls around, keep going. On June 1, go back to the beginning and start all over again. There is so much practical wisdom as God begins to shape us and mold us into that wise person that I think we all dream of becoming. If, if you're with your small group this summer and you're taking a bit of a break to get some rest, I think that's awesome. We're not anti-rest around here. But I want to encourage you, if you get together during the summer, if you get together on the 13th of July, give your small group an assignment. Everybody, we're reading Proverbs 13 today. Come and share one practical little piece of wisdom that's touching your heart. I've been reading this book for years, and every time I read it, I keep wondering, how is it that Solomon knows exactly what I'm going through? Can I answer that question? It's because God told him. And wisdom is timeless, and it touches everybody. So our time's coming to a close, and some of you are wondering whether or not I forgot something. Some of you are just, I've been watching, some of you get a little restless. It's kind of like Grant, like it's Memorial Day weekend. Aren't you going to do anything like with that? It's kind of a big deal, right? Yes, we are. You know, I'm mindful of the fact that this is Memorial Day weekend. I'm an Air, I'm an Air Force brat. My dad, my dad served in her, her Royal Majesty's Royal Canadian Air Force. I was actually born in Zweibrücken, West Germany, when my dad was in, the, in Europe serving his country, protecting people back home. And on Memorial Day, I'm very mindful of something. Yesterday afternoon, I had, uh, had a difficult day had to do a very difficult funeral in the afternoon. And so on my way home, I did what I always do. I called Laurel because I always call my wife because she just always has the right thing to say. She's very wise. And then I called my dad because I just like talking to my dad. And on Memorial Day, here's what I was mindful of. I was thankful because I called my dad who served my country, and he was there to answer the phone. And I was thankful for that. 
What I know is that there are many people in our church and in our community who would love to be able to do that, to call their son or their daughter or their father or their mother or their grandpa or their grandma, and there's nobody to answer the phone because they didn't come home. And I think we need to remember that. I think we need to never take this for granted. I mean, I got up this morning in a free country. I came to this church. I opened my Bible in freedom, proclaimed the name of Jesus as loudly as I could without fear of reprisal. I think that's something to be thankful for. I think that's something to remember. I think that's something to not take for granted. You know, the Bible says, greater love has no man or woman than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friend. People actually did that. People we don't even know, they did that. Wisdom tells us we should honor those who paid that price for our freedom. In fact, there's a proverb about that. The Bible says, the memory of the righteous will be a blessing. The memory of the righteous will be a blessing. The other half, but the name of the wicked will rot. Scary. Well, we want to honor the memory of those who paid a price so that we could all come today and worship God freely on this Memorial Day weekend. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to have a moment of silence to remember, but I want you to have silence with purpose. We're going to take a moment to be silent and thank God. But then I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Yesterday afternoon when Pastor Wendy and I were out at, out at the, uh, the cemetery, there were all kinds of people coming with little American flags and white crosses, and they covered the cemetery with memories. As the people of God, we need to pray for them, because tomorrow may be just a day of barbecue for some of us, but for them, it's a day of profound loneliness and deep questions. And we need to pray that the God that we love and serve will guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus and draw them to Himself because tomorrow they're going to revisit a hole deep in their soul. So church, would you stand with me? And let's have a moment of silence, reflection, and prayer as we pray for the families of those who for tomorrow is going to, it's going to be a tough day. Let's remember it together. Father God, I am thankful for freedom. God, I am mindful every time I step onto this sacred little space that I stand on the shoulders of men and women who paid a price so that we could come and worship here in freedom and that I could boldly open the Bible and speak the name of Jesus as the only hope of the world. God, I pray for the families who for tomorrow will be very hard. I pray for my friend George, who came to the last service, who lost a 22-year-old nephew in Afghanistan. I pray for he and his family as tomorrow they, they grieve and hurt because their nephew didn't come home.
Father, I pray that we would be mindful that there are real families in this very real place who will hurt tomorrow. And we pray that the God of peace would come and guard their hearts and minds and answer their hard questions and wrap His loving arms of comfort around them so that they can find some purpose in their pain. Father, I thank You for a moment to remember. I pray that tomorrow we would stop just for a second and thank You for freedom and to preserve the memory of the righteous. Father, may we never forget and may we always remember because we are children of a God who gave His life and greater love has no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said,